1-855-482-4141. Welcome to the local edition news and information to keep you connected the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. It is election season and our election coverage continues. To hear all the interviews that we've done with candidates so far, go to WJFFradio.org. Make sure you never miss any edition of the local edition. Sign up for our podcast. And this evening, we turn our attention to Pennsylvania's 8th Congressional District, where incumbent Matt Cartwright is running uh, in defense of challenger Jim Bognett. And we spoke to Representative Cartwright on October 7th. Uh, Representative Cartwright, thank you so much for uh, joining us again. Uh, my pleasure, Jason. I figured we'd, we'd get started by talking about health care. It's a key issue, access to health care, especially in a rural area. The pandemic showed us how much communities rely on a stable health care system. We also saw the strain of the pandemic taking a toll on both underfunded public health offices and for-profit hospitals alike. What's your position on access to health care and health care affordability? It's essential. I mean, it, it, uh, uh, legislators need to be doing everything they can think of to shore up our health care system. It, it's something that I ran on when I first ran for Congress 12 years ago. Uh, we had, gosh, Jason, we had two uh, hospitals close in, in the year 2013. It was right before Governor Corbett accepted the Medicaid expansion uh, that went along with uh, Obamacare. Uh, and he was pushing back on it for a long time, but hospitals really depend on Medicaid to stay alive, particularly rural hospitals. So it was St. Catherine's Hospital near Ashland, Pennsylvania, a rural place, uh, and also the Marion Community Hospital in Carbondale. Uh, it, uh, to me, when a hospital closes, that is... That's not theoretical. That's that's a real difference in your health care. You know, we can talk all day about what kind of health insurance policies you get, but it, but it's when where the rubber meets the road is is when you get sick. You know, if you're having a stroke and there and the local hospital isn't there anymore, and instead of a 15 minute ride to the emergency room, it's a 40 minute ride. That's a big deal. I mean, I mentioned stroke. The neurologists say lost time equals lost brain when you're yeah. having a stroke. So, so to me, the, the paramount thing is to make sure the, the hospitals and the healthcare assets uh, are there. Um, and then after that, we talk about the coverage. Now, the, the coverage keeps the hospitals alive. I know that, Jason, because I was on the board of directors of a hospital for about seven years. What happens is if people are uninsured, they show up at the emergency room and they wait until something gets really bad before they go to the emergency room because they don't have insurance. Yeah, there, I the mean, law. there's lots of ways that people not having money up front makes things cost more, both in terms of money and in terms of their health in the long run. Uh, but I'm wondering what what can Congress do about this? How much can Congress even be a part of a solution to this? Well, it's about money. I mean, we're not, you know, we're not going to deliver health care in Congress, but we're going to deliver funds and and use them in a smart way. And what we did uh, this year with the Inflation Reduction Act was we uh, we pumped money into the um, uh, into the exchanges. 
you know, to, to have uh, subsidies for exchanges because it's the subsidies that keep the prices down low. Without those subsidies, without the Inflation Reduction Act doing that, the health insurance policies that you could buy on the exchanges would be out of reach for, for regular people. So what we did was we, we did re-up the subsidies uh, in the Inflation Reduction Act so that people this coming year are going to be able to buy reasonably priced health insurance policies. It's going to help the people, but as they say, it's also going to help the hospitals because people, when they're insured, they go to the doctor. They don't wait until something festers and becomes a, a you know a medical emergency, yeah. uh, and then they show up in the emergency room and they can't pay. It's all different when when people are covered. The hospitals are on more sure financial footing, uh, and people uh, people are more sensible about the way they handle their health care. Another issue that really yeah. impacts our area that's related to health care as well is the the ongoing opioid crisis uh, that's affecting. Uh, affecting us are uh, solutions to that uh, approach to that similar to the approach to health care or is the, is there another uh, attack what what can be done to to help with this uh, crisis and those in the throes of addiction well you guys know about it in the sullivan catskills and and we know about it in pennsylvania it's it's all over america and it's in every nook and cranny of america it does, it's not re- not it's not limited to uh, one ethnic group or one uh, uh, socioeconomic group. Uh, You know, Jason, I did a town hall in a a little town called Coaldale, and it's in Schuylkill County, Pennsylvania, a very rural place. You know, typically I get 20 or 30 people at my town halls, and, and they're nice people, and they, you know, they're grateful for the chance to talk about civics and how government works and and what I'm up to, and and what services we provide through our congressional office, and we do all that. Uh, but we get 20 to 30 people, right? I'm rolling into Coaldale, and I said, "Hey, where's our town hall at?" And somebody said, "Well, it's it's in the movie theater." I said, "The movie theater? You rented a movie theater? How many <laughs> is that seat? 150." I said, "Why would you rent the movie theater that say it seats 150 for our one of our town halls?" Yeah. Well, it was because we had a specific topic, and it was the opioid crisis. Jason, I walked in that place, and it was full. We had people from all walks of life there. We had, you know, men wearing overalls that just came from work. We had men in three-piece suits. You know, it didn't matter. Uh, what walk of life people came from. Everyone is touched by this opioid addiction crisis. Um, and um, that really brought it home to me. So, right. As a result, uh, we have, you know, so many families have been torn apart by this thing. It's a nationwide issue that was only exacerbated. It was only made worse by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and what we're looking for are comprehensive solutions. Um, in, in, in my congressional district, I secured funding for pathway to recovery counseling and educational services. It's money that will help provide counseling and support for people affected by addiction, uh, as well as um, mental illness. 
know, that that can go hand in hand with the, with the, with addiction. Um, there's also, you know, part of this is illegal activity, of course. You know, it's uh, running drugs. And uh, we had, uh, we just announced earlier this year, I, um, I, I'm on the House Appropriations Committee, and I rose to be one of the 12 chairs of the House Appropriations Committee uh, last year. So it enables me to access more money and bring it back and make sure our neck of the woods gets its fair share of its own federal tax dollars at work in our local economy. Well, I got $2 million for um, the Lackawanna County District Attorney's Office. They have an initial, uh, initiative called the G-GRIP, uh, and it, it, it's to reduce violent drug, gang, and gun activity in the region, and it's an innovative approach by the, the Lackawanna County DA, and I was happy to, to help that. It'll help our local law enforcement go after some of those who are putting opioids on our streets and and get them behind bars where they belong. All right, and you know, we we spoke we spoke to you a couple times since then, but we did speak to you live on air on January seventh of twenty twenty one. It's a day after the January sixth attack on Congress which you personally witnessed as we're recording this now. We're less than a week away from the January 6th committee convening again for what may be their final public hearing. I'm wondering if you've been following these hearings as someone who's actually there in the attack, and uh, if so, what's your take on them? I I, I have been following them. I mean, I don't watch the whole things. I kind of look at the highlights uh, that show up on the news afterward. But, yes, I was in the Capitol chamber on January 6th. And yes, the American people deserve to know what happened that day and um, and why it happened. And it's you know those who are ignorant of history are doomed to repeat it. Well, we have to make sure this kind of thing doesn't happen again. We have to ensure, for the sake of our nation, that another attack on our democracy like that never happens again. So. I'm glad they're doing those hearings. I'm glad they seem to have a tenor that's um, matter of fact, and there's not a whole lot of speechifying going on. They're 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 getting after the facts, and I I, I, I prefer hearings like that. You know, I did uh, courtroom jury trial work for 25 years, and it was kind of a shock to me when I got to Congress, and I I sat in on some of these hearings, and it's a lot of them are way more speechifying than fact finding. Um, uh, this January 6th committee seems to be uh, uh, pretty focused on the on the facts. My focus here at home, though, is to is to talk about what we can do to address the issues that regular people talk to me about: fixing our supply chain, lowering costs, holding big oil companies accountable for price gouging. Um, what we're up to here is uh, we're, we're building a $6 billion shale gas to car gas plant in Luzerne County in my district. Uh, we have such an abundance of, shale, uh, you know, frac gas, uh, shale gas in the Marcellus shale field. So many of these uh, wells are, are capped and there's just awaiting uh, gas extraction. And, um, yeah, we can... We can take that gas and we can turn it into LNG, liquid natural gas, and, you know, put it on trucks and send it to the seacoast and put it on uh, put it on ships and sell it all over the world. We, yes, we could do that. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought um, that up because I, I wanted to ask about that plan uh, and, and uh, yeah. that idea for lowering gas prices. But go back to what you're saying about holding oil companies accountable. Is that another uh, avenue to pursue for lowering gas prices? Oh, sure. Well, the, the bottom line about the Nacero plant is that it's going to create a lot of abundant gas locally. It'll create a lot of 4,000 jobs locally while we build the plant. And when you have more gas, the price comes down. Uh, you learn that in high school economics. Uh, when the, the supply is up, the price comes down. We need to do that. It's American energy independence. But yes, absolutely. During the, during the height of this inflation, it was gas. It was oil and gas driving the whole thing. Uh, you know, this inflation is awful. People really are suffering. People on fixed incomes, people that go to the grocery store and feel like they have to get a mortgage to buy a carton of eggs. It's, it's awful. Now, overall, the inflation is, it runs at 85 to 9.5%, and it, somewhere in there, it fluctuates. But the oil and gas inflation was at 32% at its peak this year. 32%. That's what's driving the rest of the inflation, that and, and shipping problems. And as a result, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the, the truth is everything we buy, there's gas and there's oil and gas. There's energy built into the price. You know, you buy uh, something that's manufactured. Whoever made that had to drive the work. And, they, and when they got to work, they had to use energy for the manufacturing process. And then when they got done, they had to ship it. There's so much oil and gas baked into the price of everything so that when you raise the, the price of oil and gas 32%, that's a big chunk of that, of that heightened inflation for everything else that we buy. What we saw was that the first three months of this year, the first quarter, from January 1 to March 31st, the, um, the, oil, the top four oil and gas companies in this country went home with $27 billion in, in profits, $27 billion for four companies. For two of those companies, it was the most profits in 10 years. For the other two companies, it was the most profits in the history of their companies. They were, they were laughing all the way to the bank while regular Americans were living paycheck to paycheck uh, and, and gouging into their savings accounts to, to, uh, to, to, try, to uh, try to afford to fill their tanks. It wasn't right, it was, and we knew it was gouging, Jason, because if you saw, if you saw the rise of, of the uh, price of oil per barrel, it leveled off after a certain time. But at the same time, the price of gas at the pump kept going up and up and up. Regular people were being gouged at the pump, and it was the oil and gas companies at fault for it. Because of that, I was very proud to, to sign on to as a co-sponsor and to vote for the anti-price gouging bill that went through the Congress. It gives the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, enhanced powers to investigate price gouging by oil and gas companies. And we did the same thing. The other, the other piece of, of uh, piracy that was going on was on the high seas. It was the, the shipping companies. You know, a, a, a couple of years ago, it was about $2,500 to ship a container across the Pacific Ocean. That was the going price. 
whatever you put in it, whatever you shipped across the ocean, $2,500 per container. That went up to $25,000 per container at its highest. I mean, the, the shipping companies, and there's not too many of them, they got together and, and, they, and they, they gouged consumers. So we had it coming both ways. We come, coming from the oil and gas and also from the shipping expenses. Uh, American consumers really uh, got it right in the face. Uh, uh, with all of this, uh, with all of this gouging going on, so I also uh, voted for a, 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 another bill about shipping gouging uh, as well. And finally, Congressman, before we go, um, a, this is this is the election season. It's why we're talking to the candidates. Why do you think voters should vote for you instead of your opponent in this upcoming general election? Uh, well, we have some stark differences between me and my opponent. My opponent wants to cut Social Security and Medicare. Uh, he's been caught on camera talking about how those programs are the big enchilada that need to be cut. Uh, I, I'm totally against that. There's only one candidate in this race who will get the endorsement of the Committee to Preserve Social Security and Medicare, and that's Cartwright. I have spent – I've been here. I've been, the, I've been here the last 34 years, raised my family here, Marion and I have worked here as as courtroom lawyers, helping people against the the, the well healed and the well connected uh, our entire adult lives. And and my opponent, it, as soon as he could shake the dirt of northeastern Pennsylvania off his dust off his boot heels, he was out of here. He was working for lobbying firms. He was working as a political operative. Uh, he wasn't here helping people. And that's what this job is. It's, it's, it's making your top allegiance to the people of northeastern Pennsylvania and, and, and making life better. Um, you know, the, our area has, has you know, it's, it's been bumping along. It's, the economy hasn't been so good for a couple of generations. And I've seen it and I've lived it. Uh, and we have so many things we can do. And a lot of them have to do with making sure we get our fair share of federal tax dollars back into the local economy. The more dollars that are circulating in our economy, the more jobs, the better paying jobs, and, and the more opportunity for our young people so they don't have to move away. It's a, it's, it, it couldn't be a, a starker contrast. You know, it, 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 what, was, what was really disappointing was when we found out that my opponent's lobbying firm in Washington, D.C., lobbied on behalf of the Saudi Arabian royal family to oppose legislation that would have allowed the families of 9-11 victims to seek compensation from the Saudi government. Imagine that, a, a, a man who is willing to sell himself out even when it hurts the family members of 9-11 victims. In, in me, you have somebody who has chosen to live here in northeastern Pennsylvania the last 34 years. And my opponent, uh, he couldn't get away from here fast enough. And all he has done is served corporate masters and, and bad actors uh, the, in, the entire time he was away. Uh, my opponent is beholden to corporate special interests, and I've been standing up to them my entire adult life and fighting for people in northeastern Pennsylvania. Congressman Matt Cartwright talking to us here on Radio Catskill. And the interview was recorded on October 7th. Just a notice 
for you listener, we did uh, that. Congressman Matt Cartwright's running in Pennsylvania's eighth district. He's the incumbent there. His challenger is Jim Bognett. As a note for you, listener, we did reach out to Jim Bognett's campaign for an interview, and they did not make him available to us. You're listening to The Local Edition, winner of two Excellence in Broadcasting Awards from the New York State Broadcasters Association. Radio Catskill. Listen local. You're listening to Radio Catskill. WJFF Jeffersonville. W233AH Monticello. Welcome back to the local edition. I'm Jason Dole. Tomorrow afternoon at 1.30, the Tustin Town Hall in Narrowsburg, there is an open forum, and it's uh, to discuss some common issues concerning folks of retirement age and older living in the River Valley and this involves health, housing, socialization, services, transportation, and more. The event is hosted by the River Reporter and Growing Older Together, an organization that provides support services for seniors. The forum is part of Let's Talk. This is an initiative of the River Reporter to host and facilitate public conversations about community issues. Radio Catskills' Tim Bruno spoke with Thomas Cambridge of Growing Older Together and Lori Stewart, publisher of the River Reporter. Our initiative started out by looking at the comprehensive plans. With so much um, change coming, uh, you know, the the area has changed significantly in the last 18 months. Um, Looking at and and the tremendous amount of growth that's around, we started looking at a neutral land use tool that folks could conceivably like agree on, which would be the comprehensive plan. And actually, in the town of Tustin, both youth and seniors were noted as groups whose voices needed to be um, championed. And we, we, so the River Reporter is looking to um, facilitate dialogue around the changes that are happening. There are definitely things that we need to be talking about. And so this fall, we're prototyping meetings with different groups, listening to them, asking them, what do you need in your community to enhance the sense of community, belonging, and inclusion? So we did. We started with youth in the summer, and then we... um, are turning to seniors and are working in collaboration with growing older together because those missions kind of very much align. And Thomas, Growing Older Together's mission is to provide residents age 60 and older in Wayne County, Pennsylvania, Western Sullivan, New York, and uh, the adjacent areas with the means and social connections to live independently in their homes. That is your actual mission. As folks move past that age and into their later years, there tends to be a sense of wanting to maintain that independence and hang on to that independence. And your organization helps facilitate a lot of that, especially in a rural area like ours. Uh, We do. And we do that primarily by going into our residents' homes, helping them out with uh, home maintenance, uh, things like getting up on ladders and changing light bulbs or gathering up garbage and taking it to the dump. We do technology troubleshooting. We have some of our volunteers are uh, well-trained in programming television remotes or hooking up printers to Wi-Fi networks and, and also just the social aspect. Sometimes it's just going in and sitting with one of our members and having a cup of tea, reading a book together, or just listening. 
And then we also have uh, social activities uh, that gives folks a, uh, something to look forward to, and they're actually quite fun. We just did one last week where we all took a train ride from Honesdale to Holly and back to look at the fall foliage, you know, and, and these are the things which uh, enhance the quality of life. There's no typical older person, and I think some people think that older people are often assumed to be frail or dependent and a burden, but mm. that's not the case. And, Lori, do you hope that, that this Let's Talk initiative with Growing Older Together helps disprove some of that thinking? Absolutely. I mean, the interesting thing is that in our society, we tend to kind of take a look at one particular segment of our population, you know, uh, and youth's voices are not necessarily like really considered as stakeholders. Seniors' voices are not considered as stakeholders. So, and the River Reporter like really wants to help build an inclusive kind of um, cross-section. It's, we are a multi-generational community. And we want, we, you know, and the River Reporter really wants to connect uh, people around that and then also connect um, what folks are saying to the, the larger readership and to the area. Like, for instance, when we did the, the youth meeting in July, we had it that next week on the front page of the River Reporter. And that was very interesting because then we kind of, then we heard from the school, you know, that they have civic classes and that, you know, kind of increasing that kind of civil engagement would be really helpful to the school curriculum in order to like really bring it into the community. And the same thing goes for seniors. You know, they, you know, how do we like really like kind of really throw open our arms so that we can gather everyone in? Because it is at that point when we're taking a look at these, um, you know, the different segments, ages, you know, of our community, we can, we can, uh, again, be more inclusive. But those voices, those are voices of wisdom. I mean, not just the, the, of course, the, the, the older folks, of which, oh, by the way, I am a senior citizen, um, and, you know, also then those younger voices. So it, it, it works on a lot of levels to, like, really empower people to be engaged in their community and feel that they have agency. Any final thoughts, Thomas, on this topic and this event? Yes, thank you, Tim. Growing Older Together seeks to be the connective tissue uh, because a lot of our Villages are geographically dispersed between Holmesdale, Beach Lake, Narrowsburg, Coshecton, and, and beyond. And so growing older together uh, from a service perspective helps to, to be that catalyst, which brings those, those villages and those communities together. And then I think the River Reporter does that uh, on a much bigger scale because uh, the Let's Talk seminar is not just for growing older together members and volunteers. It's for everyone. Uh, we're saying retirement age and up, but in the River Valley. And so I think I'm so excited that it's going to be uh, this catalyst to bring an even larger group of voices together. And I think there are a lot of vibrant views that we're going to hear, and I'm looking very forward to hearing those. Let's remind folks where they can register for the event and when it's all happening. So the Let's Talk Seniors is, is happening at the Tustin Town Hall on Wednesday, October 26th, from 1.30 to 3.30. We will have coffee, cake, and snacks, 
And to RSVP, you can uh, visit bit.ly uh, forward slash let's underscore talk seniors, or you can RSVP by phone at 607-972-9370. That number one more time? 607 607- Nine seven two We've been talking to Executive Director of Growing Older Together, Thomas Cambridge, and the publisher of The River Reporter, Lori Stewart. Thank you both for joining us. Oh, thank you so thank much. You, and we look forward to hearing from seniors. Big thanks to Thomas Cambridge, Lori Stewart for talking to us. Big thanks to Tim Bruno for making that segment. And thank you, listener, for listening to the local edition tonight. That's going to do it for our program. We will be back tomorrow night with more. And we'll be back in just a moment with more live programming. Mr. Kusar Grace on the Music Emporium. There's time now for you to make it to your phone or to your computer to make a donation because this is our fall favorites fun drive. Help us out. Donate what you can. Go to WJFFRadio.org wjffradio.org or call now 845-482-4141 Support for Radio Catskill comes from Jeffersonville Bake Shop offering breakfast and lunch to go or to stay and coffee, Wi-Fi and space for getting work done remotely JeffersonvilleBakeShop.com From The Schwangunk Journal, serving the towns of Warwasing, Crawford, Mamakating, Rochester, Schwangunk, and everything in between. SchwangunkJournal.com And from listeners like you. WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Radio Catskill, your NPR station for the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania.